Good afternoon and welcome to the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Candace Dirksen. Coming up this afternoon, Dr. Danny Blair, geography professor at the University of Winnipeg and co-director of the Prairie Climate Centre, shares the impacts of climate change and the implications for agriculture, particularly in Manitoba. And Marla Rickman is back with some tips on improving soil health. The latest farm news and market numbers also coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon, you're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Dr. Danny Blair, geography professor at the University of Winnipeg and co-director of the Prairie Climate Centre, shared the impacts of climate change and the implications for agriculture, particularly in Manitoba. These are our graphs that show, in this particular case, total winter precipitation in Winnipeg from uh, observed uh, weather stations that observe the weather stations from 1873 to 2021. These are updated update. I have data up to the end of 2021. And so you can see, as you well know, precipitation is enormously variable in this crazy climate of ours. But we did have uh, over the last couple of winters, we had some really low amounts of precipitation. Here we are in the winter of um, uh, 21, uh, 2021. Uh, really low amounts of precipitation. And of course, oh, and notice that on, on these graphs, I have the projections, the climate projections under that high carbon scenario and under that low carbon scenario. And as you can see, winter precipitation is expected to slightly increase in the coming decades, uh, some uh, wetter, uh, wetter winters. Um, not, not horribly wetter, but, but wetter. And if we go to the spring, of course, you all know that spring last year was very dry. Springs are expected to get uh, slightly wetter as well. Uh, again, enormous amounts of variability in our crazy climate from year to year. And in summer, again, lots of variability, but now notice that the projections indicate slight decline, very slight decline in precipitation in Winnipeg and across Southern Manitoba. Uh, the ag region of Manitoba in the coming decades. Uh, not a horrible drop in precipitation, but put that in the context of having also very high amounts of uh, high temperatures, and we have the great uh, potential for a large amount of evapotranspiration, a drying of the soil of the sort that we definitely had in this drought this year. Uh, July in uh, across many parts of Manitoba was the driest uh, July uh, on record. It was in, in Winnipeg. And then here's a, here's a map that shows that indeed um, July precipitation in the future, in this case, we're looking at the far future, 2051 to 2080, under the high carbon scenario, precipitation is expected to be lower than it is now across much of uh, uh, Southern Canada, including the prairies here. And again, not a huge drop in precipitation, maybe five to 10%, but with the higher temperatures that produces a greater probability of droughts, unfortunately. But where we've really seen uh, changes um, is with precipitation. Here's the average winter uh, mean temperature in Winnipeg. And as you can see, I've overlaid on top of it as well, the high carbon scenario projection and the low carbon scenario projection indicating that temperatures in the winter are, whether you're under the high carbon scenario or under the low carbon scenario, no matter which path we follow, it's going to be warmer uh, in the future winters. And there, of course, there are some benefits to that, to agriculture and society as a whole. 
in terms of cost of heating and and um, and stress on animals and and other things. And they've also risen in the spring. Again, enormous variability. And if I go to summer, we see temperatures in Winnipeg and across Manitoba going up and, and projected to go up. And remember that if you look at the future scenarios, you have to overlay the variability on top of that. And so in the coming decades, we could see some really warm summer temperatures of the sort that we've had much more often than we have had in the past. And the fall temperatures are going up as well. But of course, we've had some really cold falls recently. But on average, the temperatures in the falls have gone up, especially in September. And where they're going, well, it depends upon which carbon scenario the world follows, whether we follow the high carbon scenario or the low carbon scenario. Let's hope it's the low carbon scenario. Uh, because of these changes, driven by the carbon dioxide, uh, the growing seasons are getting longer. There's definitely more heat available in uh, the ag climate of, of uh, the present compared to the past, and much more is coming in the future. Less, uh, fewer episodes of really cold temperatures. We're still going to have cold temperatures, but uh, a lot fewer of, of those events. More precipitation overall is what we expect. Uh, perhaps less precipitation in July and August, the latter part of the summer. Precipitation forecasts and projections, climate projections are, um, are more uncertain than temperature projections. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. But the expectation across most models and most climatological organizations is that precipitation is going to decline in the summer in the future. When it does come, it will come more intensely, which is not a good thing in terms of, of uh, being usable to, to moisten the soil and, and uh, water the crops. Uh, it, if, you, if it runs off because it's so intense, it's not very good. And then a greater threat of, tr of drought because of the higher temperatures and perhaps because of the lower precipitation in the summertime. And even more variability in our, as I often say, in our crazy climate than we already have. More in an energized climate system, we should expect more variability, even more than we already have. So there are definitely benefits to agriculture, the longer growing season, the greater amounts of heat, the greater uh, the um, opportunity to grow many different kinds of crops, but there are threats associated with uh, the increased drought, the increased uh, precipitation uh, intensity, the increased pre uh, prevalence and frequency and length of droughts in the long run. And therefore, as you all know, uh, and as you all are all doing, we need to get ready for it. We need to adapt. We need to manage our water more efficiently perhaps than we already do. We need to uh, do research and innovation to try to take advantage of those opportunities and to minimize those risks. And to do that, we, we, you need um, data and advice and the Prairie Climate Center and Climate West are there to help you do this should you need it. Um, the Canada Water Agency is being proposed as an agency to oversee uh, more efficient water management on the prairies and we'll see where that goes. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. I'm Candace Dirksen. A brand new web portal designed to connect Manitoba grain farmers and livestock producers launched on Thursday. The new site is a joint initiative by the Manitoba Organic Alliance and Manitoba Grassland and Forage Association. MOA Executive Director Karen Clausen. 
It's to connect people who want to either have their land grazed and people with something to graze them. So it's with for livestock producers who have probably cattle, but anything, goats, sheep, anything that can graze, and people who have either land that's cover crops, green manures, marginal lands, pasture lands, any sort of land that they think would be benefited um, to have some livestock grazing on it, which, to be honest, is most land. Meanwhile, Lawrence Knockart, MFGA chair, said after the recent summers we've just experienced with dry conditions in Manitoba, the connections through this website stand to become even more important as possible feed sources for livestock in times of drought. Visit manitobagrazingexchange.com for more information. And farmers are busy evaluating their seed test results and lining up any available seed if needed. Sheila Miller, an intern extension agrologist, says if all your results come back poor, then try to source a better quality seed if possible. But if producers do choose to use that seed uh, that has lower germination rates, uh, seeding rates will need to be increased to reach the target plants per square foot for that given crop. And seed treatment should also be considered in situations with high disease percentages or lower germination uh, since it helps the survivability of the seed and it protects the seed from pathogens of concern. Miller says with last year's drought and heat stress, seeds are smaller and shriveled, so there's more of a concern over seed quality for farm-saved seed. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Ag Wire for Monday, January 31st. I'm Candace Dirksen. Coming up today, we've got FCC Chief Economist J.P. Gervais following Farm Credit Canada's virtual 2022 Ag Economic Outlook last week. Farm Credit Canada held its virtual 2022 Ag Economic Outlook last week. Glenda Lee Allen Bossler was online for the event and gives us some of the perspectives J.P. Gervais, FCC's Chief Economist, shared on the economy and things to watch for. During his part of the presentation, JP says we'll have to learn to live with inflation above the Bank of Canada target. There are a number of different reasons for, for the inflation figures that we have currently. Um, supply chain disruptions going all the way to transportation, uh, labor shortages as well. If you look at job vacancies right now across a lot of different sectors in the agri-food supply chain, we have job vacancies that in some cases are about a third higher than they were prior to the pandemic. And so with more job vacancies, obviously, the expectation that wages are going to go up. Um, I, I mentioned transportation. You know, we, we have some some positive signals as well. You know, if uh, you look at the Baltic Dry Index, for example, a major index of global shipping, it's down from the, the peaks and, and way down from the peaks that it reached in, in the fall of 2021. But it remains way elevated as well. So some good signals. And so for that reason, I do think that inflation, uh, once we sort out some of the disruptions we have in the supply chains, I do think that inflation is going to subside, certainly in the second half of 2022. But that is consistent, nonetheless, with prices remaining elevated, right? So we're talking about inflation coming down. It doesn't mean that prices are going to fall. It just means that we're going to live with high prices, but perhaps prices that somewhat reach a plateau when it comes to overall inflation in the economy. From inflation, he moved into interest rates, saying he expects to see a rate increase in the months ahead. Perhaps as early as March, 
or at the latest, and I was going to say for sure, I mean, there's not no assurances in, in, a, in a pandemic context that we have right now, but um, by April, we should get a rate increase. And please note as well that it doesn't have to be just 25 basis point increase, right? It could be as much as 50 basis point, 0.5% increase as well. There's nothing that says that the rate increase by the Bank of Canada has to be by 25 basis point. Uh, if you look at in 2022, the expectation of financial markets is that a Bank of Canada overnight rate, their policy rate, is going to go up by 125 basis points. So between now and the end of 2022, an increase of 125 basis points. So that's 1.25%. So if interest rates in financial markets are going up, price of capital is going up, and at the end of the day, borrowers, businesses, individuals that borrow money are going to be faced with higher interest rates. And, and what this basically says is look at the yield curve recently, January 21st in this case, and then compare that to what it was four months ago. And if you look at the one-year bond rate, uh, you actually realize that it went up by around 75 basis point. So it is interesting to note that without any type of Bank of Canada action, interest rates in the marketplace for a one-year bond have gone up by around 75 basis points, right? And I think the point here is that it's not just about what the Bank of Canada does. It's also about what the markets expect in terms of movements for interest rates. And so I think that's the number one thing to monitor. So you see that the one-year rate has gone up. Uh, if you look at the, on the long end of the curve, if you look at a five-year bond, for example, it also went up. Currently, long-term rates are just slightly above what they were prior to the pandemic. So I think that's the question really right now for businesses and pharma operations is, should I be looking at my own strategy when it comes to, you know, the financial risk that I face, right? Should I be locking in some rates? Should I look at my loan portfolio and say, well, maybe there's an opportunity for me to lock in some rates, knowing that we're likely to get short-term rates going up in the next 12 months. And the idea is that, you know, as the Bank of Canada start lifting interest rates, this yield curve, the orange line that you see, is going to shift, right? The markets are potentially shift. The markets are going to say, all right, so then now we went with a one rate increase. What's the impact on the economy? Is that slowing down inflation? Is What are the prospects for growth in Canada and so forth, right? And once the market realizes this enough, is this not enough, those type of things, then that's when we're going to see interest rates move again. So I do think there's an opportunity, given where long-term interest rates are, I do think there's an opportunity for farm operations to consider um, where they're at when it comes to their financial risk. And from interest rates to the Canadian dollar versus the U.S. dollar. I do think that, you know, when we're done with 2022, the pace of increase in interest rates will be quite similar between Canada and U.S. So that leaves us with the oil price driving a lot of the future value of the, of the loonie. And in that case, we're, what we're seeing right now is that the markets is sort of brushing off concerns around demand for oil in the global market, right? So we've seen oil prices move up in recent weeks, almost, you know, really since the start of December of last year, 2021. Um, uh, of course, you know, in the last few days, we've seen oil prices retreat a little bit, but the, the concerns around future demand for oil um, with the current wave of the pandemic and so forth doesn't seem to be really big. And so uh, prices have moved up, especially considering that there are, I'm not going to say concerns, but certainly doubts or, or, or question marks around the ability of oil producing countries to expand 
and meet their production targets. If you think of oil exporting countries or even the United States, its ability to ramp up production is under, um, there's, there's a bit of concern there or a question mark around the ability of the U.S. to ramp up production. So because of that, we're seeing oil prices climb. And if you put all of that together, as you said, we're, we're coming up with a forecast of the U.S. dollar. Sorry, I forecasted the loonie at 81 U.S. cents above between 81 and 82 well, on average for 2022. And that's above what we had as an average value in 2021. Now, I know a lot of farm operations as well are interested in the value of the euro. Um, sometimes it might be that we're looking at equipment from Europe and so forth. Uh, our forecast for the euro is also that um, actually a decline in the value of the euro against the Canadian dollars. So we're forecasting that the exchange rate will be 0.69 euro um, for the Canadian dollar. And that's an increase in the value of the Canadian dollar relative to last year. Um, there are lots of different um there's lots of uncertainty right now with respect to that forecast. If you think of the Russia slash Ukraine conflict and perhaps retaliation from Russia in terms of sanctions that they could see uh, imposed on, on their country and perhaps the retaliation of limiting the supply of natural gas available to Europe, which would actually trigger a lot of inflation in Europe and perhaps bringing the, the, the currency or the euro down. And so all of these things need to be considered and monitored throughout 2022. But overall, we see a Canadian dollar that is uh, gaining value in 2022. That's Farm Credit Canada's chief economist, J.P. Gervais. We'll have more for you from FCC's Ag Economic Outlook in the days ahead. For Golden West, I'm Glendalee Allen Vossler. That's it for the Prairie Agwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email to thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. On behalf of Glendalee Allen Vossler, I'm Candace Dirksen, and thanks for listening. Have a good afternoon. The Prairie Agwire will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. And now for a look at your farm calendar. The Direct Farm Marketing Conference has moved online and is taking place February 1st to the 5th. Visit directfarmmanitoba.ca for more information. The Dairy Farmers of Canada Annual Policy Conference will be held online February 2nd and 3rd. Visit their website to register. An online beekeeping for the hobbyist course begins February 2nd at 7 o'clock. Sessions will be held every Wednesday except February 23rd until March 30th. Cost is $230, and you can register with the University of Manitoba Faculty of Agriculture and Food Sciences. The Manitoba Crop Alliance Combined Customer Workshops begin February 6th to 9th, with sessions following the 22nd to the 25th and March 6th to 9th. Get all the details, including registration, on the Manitoba Crop Alliance website. The Prairie Organics Conference 2022 is scheduled for February 8th and 9th at Brandon Keystone Centre. Manitoba Forage and Grassland Association hosts the Prairie Organics Conference February 8th to 10th in Selkirk. Visit their website for full event details. Manitoba beef producers are holding the 43rd Annual General Meeting February 10th at Victoria Inn in Brandon. There's an online option along with in-person attendance, which is subject to all public health protocols. 
And the official Manitoba Hunter Safety Course is available online. This is endorsed by the province of Manitoba and Manitoba Wildlife Federation. Visit huntercourse.com to register. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Monday afternoon, Marlo Rickman presented at the 2022 Manitoba Forage Seed Association Conference last week, offering up some tips on improving soil health. Of course, we know that there's always a benefit to having some kind of soil resilience. And what that benefit ends up being or meaning to uh, different people um, really will sometimes depend a little bit upon hey, what the climate is at that time, what kind of uh, cropping system you have, um, and what you specifically as a farmer are looking for in terms of having that soil resilience. So, you know, what does a healthy soil look like look to you? It might look different um, if you're in the interlake versus if you're in the River Valley versus if you're in Western Manitoba. So again, why do we care about building resilience? Well, obviously a healthy soil is going to be able to help absorb precipitation and hold moisture. And this is a key thing that we've been talking about in the past year because we just went through a very bad drought situation. And so in that case, if we are trying to build some of that long-term resilience in a soil, building organic matter, building good soil structure, all of those things can help to minimize some of the impact of extreme moisture events. Same thing on the excess moisture front. So if we have too much moisture or too little moisture, healthy soils can help to mitigate some of those impacts. Now, a healthy soil is not gonna mitigate all of those impacts, because in extreme situations, sometimes there's only so much that a healthy soil can do, but it does have the benefit of being able to decrease some of those impacts, especially in a less maybe extreme situation. Healthy soils definitely can resist surface, crust, surface crusting and erosion. And those are things that we see, um, whether it's wind erosion or water erosion, these types of things can help uh, a healthy soil or a soil with good structure can really decrease some of that, that impact. And then of course, healthy soils will allow for improved root growth and crop growth. Better root growth, better exploration if the soil is not compacted, better access to soil nutrients because now the roots are actually finding those soil nutrients. A lot of nutrients, things like phosphorus, potassium, things that we talk about a lot, quite often, especially when we're talking about forage production, those nutrients are not mobile in the soil. And so the plant has to find them. And the plant can only find them if the roots are able to explore that soil appropriately. So those kinds of things can definitely assist in overall crop growth if we have that more resilient, less compacted, better structured soil. And we think about soils quite often in these three things, these physical components, chemical components, and biological components. And all three of these components have processes that are happening in the soil that work towards making the soil more healthy if they're working together. And often with this Venn diagram, we talk about where the three come together and we talk about that as being health. So we are gonna talk about the five principles of soil health because these are things that we think about regularly when we're talking about trying to build that aggregate stability or build organic matter. And so the principles of soil health that we wanna focus on, of course, are keeping the soil covered, minimizing soil disturbance, maintaining plant diversity, keeping living roots and plants in the soil and integration of livestock. All of these things can be done 
kind of together, apart from each other. Some of them are really integrated together, especially say the first two and then three and four sometimes are really tightly integrated or combined to each other. Not every system has to integrate livestock. But again, if you're working towards building soil health, adding these five principles into your management system can help to build that resiliency that we're looking for for long-term sustainability of our systems. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. And now for another look at your farm news. The Manitoba Organic Alliance and Manitoba Grassland and Forage Association launched a new tool last week designed to connect Manitoba grain farmers and livestock producers. MOA Executive Director Karen Clausen says the Manitoba Grain Exchange website is a brand new web portal that's aimed to virtually connect farmers who have available grazing pasture or cover crop fields with livestock owners or ranchers who are seeking grazing land through an interactive map. Clausen says the homepage contains a Google map, and from there, users can start the process by creating an account. It's really simple, just a couple of questions to get you started, and then you find your farm on there, and then make a little pin, just saying if you've got animals or cover crops or whatever it is you have that you want to offer, and then just put a little information about your farm on, and then it creates a little pin on the map, and then other people can find you. And we're hoping that people will be able to find people nearby, and even people that they might not have expected, neighbors that they might not have expected that were interested in this sort of thing, and that will connect a lot of people together that way. Soil health and alternative feed sources were the main drivers behind the Manitoba Grazing Exchange. And as farmers work on finalizing their spring seeding plans, many are reviewing their seed test results. Sheila Miller, an intern extension agrologist, says with the drought and heat stress last year, there's more of a concern over seed quality for farm-saved seed. When looking at seed test results, high germ levels in, uh, is when germination percentages are above 90%. And also, uh, the smaller the gap between percent uh, germination and percent bigger, uh, the more sound the seed is. She adds 1,000 kernel weight provides seed size, which is vital for seeding rates to target the optimum plant populations, while testing for seed-borne diseases helps to limit the introduction of other pathogens into the field and prevent early establishment of disease. And we've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Candace Dirksen. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email at thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. I'm Candace Dirksen and thanks for listening. Have a good afternoon. We'll meet you back here tomorrow at 12 o'clock.